The Pac-12 power rankings are shaking out a little bit easier after week nine. There's so many nail biters and there's so many blowouts. It's still hard to predict who's going to win, but we know who still has a chance at the conference championship and the college football playoff. What was up with Wazoo on 24-7? Also, UCLA got a game canceled on them by Michigan. Now they're going to have play probably FCS teams. And also, we're going to talk about the playoff run and debate the Pac-12 power rankings. I'm George Reister with Ralph Amston, and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. Ralph, week nine, it was absolutely awesome. We had nail biters and we had blowouts. And it is clear. I I hope you are keeping a tally, uh, that you're still keeping an accurate tally of these wins and losses because your boy over here is doing quite well. I think you had a pretty good couple of weeks these last two weeks. Uh, I mean, you, you you may have had a little bit of help in one or two occasions from, from some Pac-12 refs, but I would say that they were trying to do you some harm on, on the other ones unsuccessfully. It's been... It's been a crazy couple of weeks, and I think this was probably the worst officiated week so far of, of the season, but we are starting to see teams separate themselves. The cream is definitely rising to the top. Speaking of the refs, I I was almost getting ready to say, wow, the Pac-12 refs haven't been that bad. I was been watching a little more SEC football, particularly the Florida-South Carolina game, which was an officiating disaster. I've been seeing some of my SEC fans i mean well friends tweet about how bad the officiating in controversies all of that and i'm sitting here saying oh wow guess guess what maybe the pac-12 has it fixed and this week was atrocious we saw bad targeting fouls we saw uh, and in the oregon washington state game was the worst officiated game that i think i have seen in the pac-12 yeah i mean um, ucla asu was trying to give it a little bit of a run for its money and there was some definitely some questionable stuff in uh, Colorado USC as well. It was just a bad week, honestly, and and it's it's part of it, right? Like that's this part of the experience of being a Pac-12 football fan is having to deal with the fact that calls are going to be inconsistent, that they're not going to be make any sense, they're going to defy common wisdom of all types. I mean, Panay Sewell got called for a false start. It, one, one of the most blatant missed calls I've I've, I've seen in my life <laughs> um, is Panay Sewell getting called for a false start for getting move. trucked. Yeah. I, I mean, it's not like he's got a body of work of absolute perfection or anything, you know, so they couldn't even give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, that, that one was terrible. Uh, ASU-UCLA was just brutal. Chase Cota ran out of bounds, came back in bounds, made a fantastic catch on the sideline which the refs incorrectly call incomplete and then go in to review it. And not only do they miss the fact that he on his own went out of bounds and came back in and a ref <laughs> dropped their hat a, a ref threw their hat onto the ground ref threw their hat, like indicating that the receiver had been out of bounds. They go back and overturn the call, which I believe was a third and long, uh, that UCLA yep. ends up scoring on like they, they, they give UCLA this unnecessary gift because UCLA was already doing fine on their own. Um, and, and, and that, I mean, that set the tone for basically how that entire game uh, was, was officiated. There were two personal fouls called. 
uh, in that game, one from Eno trying to give the ball back to the ref, but he wasn't paying attention, so it bounced off his chest. And another for Ashari Crosswell. <laughs> the, an incomplete pass was so off target from DTR that it bounced near Ashari's foot, so he kicked it. Like he just yep. it was on the bounce and he kicked it and he got hit with a personal foul. And it was almost like in that game, the ref said, like, oh, ASU's getting a little chippy off that Utah thing. We're gonna watch him extra close and you know and and, and throw some flags. So Ralph, what did you think of that targeting penalty in UCLA number 24 on that two-point conversion? Um yeah, I, I was sitting there, I was like, how else are you supposed to t- a little guy is supposed to tackle a big guy on the goal line? To stop him from getting yeah. in. I hated it. I know you hated it too. I understand why you hated it. Um, but he got him in the face with his helmet and his head was lowered. I think they're trying at this point to protect defenders from themselves. Uh, didn't like the flag. Wish it wouldn't have been thrown. But at the same time, like you have to protect yourself. I'm not sure he could have hit him with the force that he did. If he if if he had his face mask up, I mean, it looked like it honestly looked like he just had him dead squared up and maybe it wasn't necessary. Then again, Ethan Long shouldn't really been in that position. He had real estate for days on both sides. If he didn't, you know, he's a freshman quarterback playing sort of a hybrid H back position. You're not you're not going to be able to truck, you know, somebody who's in their third, fourth year. You you can't just take you, you can't overestimate your physicality in that situation. I think he got himself blown up and I hate that uh, Arizona state was rewarded for it. I hate that 24 was tossed. I like, I don't, I don't understand. Um, I don't understand how, why they can't be like levels to yeah. this. Whereas, you know, you, you know, I, but at the, because it was not, there's no way that this was intentional. I think they're trying to protect the defenders from themselves. Yeah. Keep your head up. Keep yourself safe. As I'm scared, to de- I'm absolutely scared to death of the fact that some of these guys lower their head and how it could injure them. Um, but yeah, I, I I didn't like it. I get why they threw the flag, but well, I didn't the, like it well, the all. problem is this: is that especially when it's a play where you're trying to stop someone from either a getting a first down or a touchdown, and you have to collide with such force to stop the other person. Because I, I'm okay with targeting penalties when a guy is, you know, defenseless or doesn't see you coming, is held up by another player. I'm all in on those. Or when quarterback's sliding. But when somebody sees you coming and you're like, all right, let's let's man up and see who wins. I mean, how is a defender supposed to stop from falling backwards and giving up first downs and touchdowns because you have to be moving with such force and lower your head even a little bit to create the force and the upward angle to get to be able to deliver a powerful punch. You can't take your head off and and drop it on the side and say, oh, well, I, I'm just going to run into him with my chest. Because anybody that's ever played football knows if you run into somebody with your chest, you're going to get run over. Yeah, I, honestly, like there's not a single person on UCLA's campus that's not going to pat him on the back this week. And there's not a single football fan that I know that doesn't think that that was like clean and and and, and just a great hit. Um, the way that the rules are, you you have to you have to keep your head up. And you know he may not have been able to make the play if he did. Um, but I, again, I don't see anything wrong with it. I'm not going to be like Utah fans were last week after Evan Fields went helmet to helmet with uh, 
um, with Zach Moss and, and turn it into a giant thing where they're writing him letters telling him to go F off and die. And the Utah AD has to issue a statement saying that doesn't represent, you know, our university, yada, yada, yada. I think every ASU fan will be like, man, that was a good hit. But, you know, we're, we're glad we were able to get the two point conversion out of it. Um, I, I, I don't see I don't see ASU fans going the Utah fan route on this one. Speaking of players coming in, out of games, I'm sitting there and, okay, so last week in the Utah game, Zach Moss clearly looked like he may have been knocked out and came back in the game. And I'm sitting there like, how is this possible? And the same thing happened, I think, yesterday in the Oregon game. Guy was out, number 37 for Washington State, out, night-night, sleepy. And then he comes back in the game. I'm like, how how are these people passing concussion protocol? Like, it's not possible. They, I don't I am, know. I'm concerned about the kids. I'm saying, all right, so of course the kids want to play. They're going to say I'm not having any symptoms. But if you were knocked out, clearly the video shows he, uh, the person laid out on the ground, eyes closed, you can't come back in the game at that point. That's silliness. Yeah, I mean, I think what MMA has like, what, 40 days, 90 day and six months like medical suspensions for different stuff that happens to you, you know, in the ring, there's like a there's like a medical suspension for blood a medical suspension for getting knocked out regardless of whether you get a, a concussion or not medical suspension for like uh, breaking a bone or, or, or a giant laceration. You know, there's different things where it just keeps the fighter from endangering themselves any further than they are by just participating in the sport. Regardless, you know, I, I think football might end up coming to some type of place where if it looks like you get KO'd, if the medical staff has to come out and huddle around you laying on your back on the ground, if they end up even having to ask you your own name, then maybe you don't come back in because uh, what, once you know, I mean, once you know what concussion protocol is, and I know that there, there shouldn't be a situation where it's like, oh, it's a test you can study for and pass. But once you know what concussion protocol is, I mean, wouldn't it be a little bit easier to pass yourself off for ready to go back yes, into a game? Yes, dude. I know guys when, especially after you get a concussion. So in the preseason, all teams do a baseline test. And during the season, if you get a concussion, you have to take these certain tests. Some of them are on the computer, all of this. And if your scores aren't close enough to your baseline, then you pass. But I know guys who have intentionally done a bad job on the baseline test. The way if they do get a concussion, they can still turn around and 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 play. <laughs> it, it, yeah, yeah, it's, it's bad news for the players, bad news for everybody. But before we get into our Pac-12 power rankings, Ralph, wanted to touch on this schedule thing because I'm a I am a, I always beat the drum on schedules in the Pac-12, SEC, Big 10, Big 12, ACC, all of them. People scheduling bad teams. UCLA had Michigan on their schedule for 2022, 2023. Mind you, there's teams that are scheduled all the way to 2030. And you see now that they, Michigan canceled the games, had to pay UCLA a million and a half dollars. And now UCLA is left with nothing on their schedule in 2022 and 2023. They have, in 2022, they have Bowling Green, South Alabama, and, and an open spot now. And in 2023, San Diego State, Coastal Carolina. And I'm saying, how are you supposed to, 
how are you supposed to win anything like that when when this is your 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 schedule and why did Michigan cancel? I don't know. Uh, yeah, Coastal Carolina, South Alabama. I, no disrespect to them whatsoever. You know, I'm sure South Alabama still will have a few talented players saving castoffs by then. Um, you know, in Coastal Carolina, great baseball school. But I, I I don't really know what to what to say about that. UCLA, you know, goes out of their way to make sure they've got decent out of conference games. They always have. And now Michigan pays $1.5 million to break this contract. And you might be saying to yourself, 2022, that's far off. But a lot of these games are scheduled out all the way through 2029. That's sooner than a lot you know, A lot of teams, decent opponents, are already going to be full up. I know that Florida, um, Florida's AD tweeted the other day, like, hey, let's make a home-and-home home happen. And, and we, even on this podcast, said UCLA would be a great opponent for them. But who knows why Michigan – maybe Michigan saw an opening to schedule Florida, and that's why they ditched – UCLA, I know that you know one of your theories is that maybe Michigan doesn't want to schedule as tough as as having um, UCLA as a, as an out of conference game. So I, I I can only speculate as to why it was done, but I can tell you this: one thing I don't want to hear out of anybody at Michigan's mouth, whether they're an administrator, an assistant coach, or Jim Harbaugh himself, they better not make any comment about how your word is your word and commitment is commitment. When it comes to recruiting, because they literally just broke a freaking contract. So can we can we get away from all this stuff? You know, like Mel Tucker the other day saying that there's no transfer portal in real life. Okay, (laughs) like Mel Tucker's had nine jobs. Like (laughs) nothing about college football prepares you for the real world quite like the transfer portal. So I mean, I'm just. So this is just another example of a thing where it's going to come back to bite Jim Harbaugh when he says, when he's talking about some recruit that breaks their commitment to Michigan to go somewhere else. And he says, well, in society these days, we just have different values. Like, okay, well then keep your commitment and play UCLA in 2022 and 2023. Yep. And and keep, keep your commitment, honor your contract. Don't leave for another job either Um, until until your contract is over. Uh, So, I mean, I don't know who they're going to be able to schedule because it's so late in the game that all the big boys, are scheduled at this point in point in time. It will be interesting to see who they get. What are your Pac-12 power rankings, Ralph? Oh my gosh, what a mess! Um, I guess I guess we're stuck with uh, Colorado um, on the bottom this week, even though they played well, which doesn't feel good at all. Um, and again, Washington State played well, and I have them uh, at. At 11. So that just goes to show you how much of a mess um, the Pac-12 is. I, I got, you know, Arizona has that win over UCLA. So I think that you have to give them a modicum of respect. So I have them coming in um, at number 10. My number nine is Oregon State. Jeez. Uh, I got to say that at this point, um, my number eight is probably Arizona State. Uh, because they've looked completely inept on in almost every facet uh, of of the game for the last two weeks, even though you know they've got a bunch of talent, um, which would make my number seven uh, a Cal team without a quarterback, I guess. Or did I not? Yeah, I mean, I I see the Cal's defense to me is is still as elite as it was, and I know that if you just plugged in one player on the offensive side of the ball, they probably would have two more wins than they have right now. Um, and so I, I, you know, that makes no sense, but I don't care. You, you go ahead and give me your bottom. (laughs) 
my bottom is I have Cal at number 12. They have no quarterback, can't do anything. This team is toothless at this point, even though that they have a really good defense. Got Colorado at 11. Even though they played better, they, they're, they're still just spiraling downhill. Arizona at number 10. Cause they they don't want to know who they who they are, and until they pick a quarterback, they're gonna to continue to lose. Uh, Stanford at number nine, they played much better, but the team that's in front of them is number eight, UCLA, who beat them a week ago. So sorry, you know you are your record at this point. Number seven, and I got Oregon State at number seven. Okay, um, I'll probably go just instead of a five six, I'll go for a, a tie. For fifth, and that's two teams that 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 I don't believe are good football teams, but already have three wins in the Pac-12, and that's Stanford and UCLA. Um, I'll put uh, USC um, as my as my number four. Uh, Washington is my number three. Utah two, and uh, Oregon is a resounding number one at five and zero oh in the conference. I totally agree. Uh, well, well, I, I mean, I don't agree with your assessment of it with, with your rankings, but I, I, I can't argue with them. It's not terrible. I mean, it's so like you can't argue with these things at this point in time in the season when teams have been so up and down. I have Arizona State at number six. Their body of work in the beginning was really good, but they're falling apart. But I mean, who are they? Are they better than Oregon State, UCLA, Stanford? Arizona, Colorado. I don't know because now, now you start taking like a, a ten thousand foot view of Arizona State, and you look at the fact that they struggled to beat their first two opponents, who were not very good, and you're like, oh, are we saying that because they had five wins, are we giving them more credit than they probably should have had? And so, I they're a very confusing team right now. Yeah, and I got five Washington State. They're still competitive. They're a good team. Hard to hard to beat. USC number four, Washington three, Utah two, and clearly number one team is Oregon. They're getting everybody's best shot at this point in time. Oh, another thing that happened this week was 24-7. We talked about it when Arizona State was on it, and now Washington State was on it the following week. So it was pretty cool because it was the Arizona State uh, was leading up to the Washington State game, and then they showed it. And then when the Washington State started, you got a chance to see the other side of that game and how Washington State dealt with it and then went into their next week. What was your takeaway from that 24-7 round? Uh, I, you know, you and I talked a little bit before we started recording on that maybe Washington State wasn't the best follow-up for after being, you know, in with Herm Edwards. And I feel like nationally, ASU probably got a little bit more shine off this than Washington State did. Um, I maybe disagree with it a little bit in that I just loved the contrast of, you know, you have Ray Anderson bringing in Marvin Lewis and Herm Edwards and Antonio Pierce and Kevin Mawai and trying to shape this into a pro model of doing things. And then you immediately pick up your camera crew and you head to Pullman for the most college-like atmosphere and the most college-like staff that I, I think maybe exists in all of Power 5 football. And I just, I love the contrast of it so much. Those two things, if you were to watch them back to back, it would be striking, yeah. the difference. And I, I, I mean, think some even, of it- Even how it. Herm Edwards talks to the players versus how Mike Leach talks to the players. 
And that, okay, so that was a big thing. That was a big thing. You, when you watched Herm, you're like, oh, he's the same person that he always is. When you watch Mike Leach, you're like, oh, he's kind of a dick. Oh, like, oh yeah, yeah. That, and and you're thinking, would I want my son talk to like Herm Edwards talks to him, or would I want him talk to like Mike Leach talks to him? Because it almost felt he reminds me of the dude, a, a little bit toned down version of the dude from Last Chance You. That's who he reminds me of. Yeah, okay, so at least and Jason Brown, Jason Brown, who I have no respect for whatsoever, Jason Brown is a guy that's 100% governed by his emotions. Mike Leach is, like, muted in all things. Like, he's he'll tell a kid he sucks without raising his voice, without even being like, well, you suck, well, that's your problem, I guess it's my problem for recruiting you, moving on to the next thing. The way that he talks, he, he, he manages to talk down to his players without escalating or de-escalating like he stays at he keeps the same energy no matter what he's doing and it kind of comes off as passive aggressive and maybe it makes it easier to not get your feelings hurt because it's like did that guy just verbally slap me or does he does it doesn't even matter to him like he just kind of moved on like he doesn't seem like he's personally offended he was offended enough to bring up my play like he wants me to change i get that but like is he upset? But it's just what a weird, what a weird situation. But also the thing about Mike Leach is it seems like the players that buy into the fact that he's just kind of kind of calmly roast them in front of everybody sometimes have a really good close relationship with him. I think it's more the quarterbacks. I don't know. It's hard to. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think it's hard to have a close relationship with a coach who does stuff like like that but the difference between him and her was so noticeable that it's hard to really fathom like that recruits i mean my, my mind you washington state is not washington state and arizona state aren't competing for the same recruits um watch yeah not really yeah, yeah you're but right washington really. state is competing with oregon state for recruits they're competing i mean that that's just the truth. They're competing probably with Arizona, Oregon State, you yeah, Utah. Yeah, and and Utah probably even has a little bit of a leg up depending on the geography. You know, so yep, so Yeah. I, I tell you what though, there were there were a couple of things that so just uh, as a one positive that stood out to me was well, first of all, the collegiate atmosphere. I mean, the the um, Hunter McGinnis, like up there acting like a DJ while they all like dance to techno. How loose they keep their walkthroughs and everything like that. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and then, and then the hours that Mike Leach keeps. Like there are a lot of people that put in a lot of work in college football. You can't really call anybody lazy if they're a college football coach. Maybe they don't put in as much work as somebody else. Maybe you can get lazy with certain things over time. But man, Mike Leach is just working, and he's got so many responsibilities. Yeah. Oh, he oh, is that sure. team. Like, and not on the on the, the the defensive side of the ball is basically like a bunch of coaches all working together to come up with a, a game plan. But I've never seen anybody who owns as much of the offensive side of the football as Mike Leach. And now I know where Cliff Kingsbury gets it from, like why he is the way he is. Because the, uh, Mike Leach is, he owns the quarterbacks. He owns the entire offense. And then he's the CEO above everything. He takes more media than anyone else. Like, he's just, that guy is working 24-7. And 24 oh, seven, another thing on there was, okay, so Tracy Clays was their defensive coordinator who left. 
and Mike Leach on there said that he didn't even talk to him, that he just left a note and was gone. And I found that very striking because seeing <laughs> how Mike Leach talked to the players and being in coaches' meetings before, knowing how sometimes those get extremely heated. I know what was going on with Mario Cristobal and Jim Levitt. They almost came to blows a couple times. So I did. I, I envision and I imagine Tracy Glaze and Mike Leach had a had it out. Probably Mike Leach saying some very choice words to him. Tracy Clays didn't didn't appreciate it and was like, "Yo, I'm not working for you no more. I'm I'm out." That's the way I imagine that went down. There's, I mean, well, there's zero chance, zero chance that Mike Leach didn't disrespect Tracy Clays. Oh yeah, almost. I mean, everything about the way Mike Leach talked is, in a sense, disrespectful. I mean, he gets he gets away with it because I think that you, as a player, I think you can assume that his intent is that you be better. Um, but I, it's it's tough for a grown man to be to to sort of have a relationship with somebody who is passive aggressive. And I'm I'm not a I, I don't I don't get along with passive aggressive people very much because I'm a very direct person. If I if I was in a business relationship with somebody who was my superior who made just offhanded comments all of the time that were sort of direct but indirect at the same time that I I don't know if I could deal with that either. Um, it's not, you know, it's not great to walk out on your team or whatever, but he, he obviously felt like the situation was untenable. I remember we talked about on this podcast that I thought that the way that he phrased the way, you know, that they need one unifying voice, uh, and he would fall on that grenade and take himself out of the picture. Um, you know, I thought that that was great and I still think that that's great. And I think it's probably working out for them a little bit better than it, the direction that it was trending. But the truth is, like, I, there's just some people that it, it's hard to work for if that's not something that you're willing to eat. If you're not willing to eat that amount of bullshit, you, you, oh, it's going to uh, be untenable. Uh, 100%. Well, there, there there are some teams that are thriving at this point in time and clearly have a chance at the college football playoff. In the um, AP poll that came out, uh, Oregon is at seven. Utah is at number nine. And in my college football top 10 power rankings, week 10, as it should be, because I go no bias, no bull, just college football rankings based upon schedules and all of that at Unafraid Show. You guys go see that. And also tell a friend about the Power 5. I'm sorry about the Pac-12 Apostles podcast. And me and Ralph do this, but this is for us. This is for Pac-12 fans. This people who want to know about the Pac-12 share it tell a friend about it all these things and in there i have utah number eight and I have oregon number six in there uh so in there i have um ohio state one lsu two penn state three bama four clemson five because n- neither one of them has played a team even ranked in the top 25 oregon six florida seven utah eight baylor nine and oklahoma ten um so there was so many people that said that the Pac-12 was out of the playoff conversation when Oregon lost to Auburn, but they were only down for nine seconds. I mean, so it was as good as lost as possible. And now with two teams ranked in the top 10 in the AP poll and kind of having almost a clear path toward the Pac-12 championship and uh, some of these other teams have to play, provided Utah and Oregon finish 11-1, and you're going to have 
one of them be a top well you're you're probably gonna have a a five versus six matchup or four versus six matchup for the pac-12 championship so it's gonna be tough to it's tough to think of a scenario where a 12 and one at this point in time a 12 and one pac-12 champion gets left out of the playoffs yeah i think uh, oregon's path is very simple win and you're in um win every game and you should be fine that that's that's as simple as it gets. That's the same deal that everybody in even more respected conferences around the country have. Win and you're in. Uh, Oregon uh, is it has put themselves in that position. They should be grateful for it. Keep your nose to the grindstone. They can do some positive things down the road. Utah needs several things to happen. Um, they need not only USC to lose a game that they probably shouldn't lose, but then to turn around and win the rest of their games after losing whatever game that is, then Utah has has to win out, and then they have to find a way to beat Oregon. Yeah, well, well, the thing, no, Ralph, is that Utah's in a good spot in that if if Oregon wins all of their games, then that means that Utah's going to win the the South because Oregon plays USC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah, that's yeah. Fair. So if Oregon wins all their games, then if Utah wins all the rest of theirs, then that's what you get in the Pac-12 championship because <laughs> because then USC would have two Pac-12 South losses. I mean, because that would be terrible, a terrible deal if USC wins out and you have an 11-1 and uh, Utah team that doesn't even make the Pac-12 championship. So basically, USC getting back to being USC will hurt the entire Pac-12. That's amazing. I know, Dude, when everybody said that the conference needs them to be good for the conference. <laughs> and now you need the exact opposite. Oh, that's wild to think about. And I mean, what's crazy is they have the talent to where it, it, you can't completely put it out of your imagination that it's possible. It's going to be a tough, it's going to be a tough road for USC, but it's possible well, that they Yeah, they but play is spoiler. it really possible? We, we can get into the games now because... They played on Friday. They played co- at Colorado. They weren't Colorado yeah. was up in this game. And it felt like Mel Tucker didn't play to win the game. He knows his defense is super shoddy. What was it? Fourth and four on their own. I mean, on USC's 38 with six minutes to go. And you punt the football knowing your defense is terrible when you're Offense hasn't really been stopped all day in, in the first. There was a lot of that this week. There was a lot of punting deep in the opponent's territory this Oregon week. Oregon did the, did the same thing. I'm like, no. ASU as well. ASU as well. Oh, I am so – be aggressive. I, I mean, <laughs> that is the only thing I miss about Chip Kelly at Oregon is his aggressiveness, and he's doing it at UCLA. It pays dividends. If you go into drives saying, listen – we got four downs. If you can, especially if you're, it's different if the defense is consistently stopping you. But when you already accumulate 31, 35 points in the fourth quarter, you haven't been stopped very much. So guess what? Be aggressive. It, it will pay. It is better to end games with the ball in your hand than not in your hand. But you know what, Ralph? USC has their quarterback now in Keaton, Keaton Slovis. 30 for 44, 406 yards, four TDs. The kid looks legit. 
yeah, I mean, what, let, let so let's be clear. Up until the fourth quarter, USC media, uh, people in LA, people who follow this program, they were roasting the kid. They, they, they. I mean, they were calling for backups. They, they did not think that he looked good at all. And then fourth quarter, Keaton Slovis, which apparently is a thing. Fourth quarter, Slovis is its own thing. Uh, he, he emerges and throws two touchdown passes to get them this win. He had some really nice passes in this game, but I got to give credit to the fan cited um, uh, USC site, Reign of Troy. They tweeted this out, and I think this will blow your mind, George. Keaton Slovis in the fourth quarter this season, 35 of 45, 449 yards, five touchdowns, no interceptions, and a passer rating of 198.26. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, every fourth, every team in the country except for Alabama, and I mean, it's probably only like three or four teams that, would, that wouldn't trade their quarterback for that right there. Yeah, I mean, we got to start calling him maybe Keaton Start Slovis because the, <laughs> the way he f- he's finishing these games in, in a, just a completely different mode. Yeah, yeah. And, and I thought that Colorado on the other end had given up this season, but Mel Tucker found a way to get his team to fight. So I want to give him credit for that. Found a way to get his team to fight. Um, Steven Montez didn't throw any interceptions. And he had thrown a bunch of bad ones. Um, they ran the ball pretty well for 196 yards. Uh, they, you know, USC wasn't able to run the ball extremely well either. I mean, aside from a long 37 yarder by Amon Ra St. St. Brown, they largely held them in check, but it was Michael Pittman who went off in the second half. Him and Tyler Bonds both had over a hundred yards. Drake London had another 85. I mean, this was and I'm on Ross St. Brown had what a uh, hundred total hundred yards of total offense. These dudes are dangerous. And also we saw a LaVishka Chenault sighting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and if, if people have been listening to this podcast for a while, if this is your first time, welcome. Uh, but if you've been listening to this for a while, you know that we are just unabashed supporters of the USC wide receiving core. No connections to USC. Otherwise, we've criticized them roundly for all sorts of other things. But these receivers are so good. And as much as I believe deep in my heart that you cannot ultimately be a successful team with just a good group of wide receivers or even a dominant number one, as in Colorado's case, um, I, I think that USC owes two of their wins at least to this point. You know, whether it's Utah uh, and Colorado, or maybe argue another one, that just to the fact that these receivers are so good. You are 100% right. This game and the Utah game are on the wideouts. They, like, they didn't, yes, Slovis was good, but these dudes have been making plays. And if, like, Slovis, if, even if he had, a notch down receivers because I've said USC has the best wide receivers in the country better than Alabama I know Jerry Judy's really good and the other kid there is really good as well but as far as three deep four deep nobody's this good nobody is this good and I know Oklahoma has CD Lamb but and um has some other players but not they're not four or five deep like this group is I mean overall now Colorado is three and five, probably not headed to a bowl game because they would need to win three out of the last four. And USC only needs to win one more game to get to a bowl game. And they have 
They have Oregon. So they have Oregon this week. Then uh, ASU. Then Cal and UCLA. And they only need one more win. So uh, assuming they lose the Oregon game, the Arizona State game is going to be a dogfight, I think. Um, and by the time they play Cal, Chase Garber should actually be back. So that could really change Cal's whole entire future. And then the UCLA game is a rivalry game. Um, do you see USC winning their next four games? I think it's possible. I think it's possible. I mean, they're so good in one area. They've got a quarterback who's playing well. The offensive line is serviceable. They're finding ways to run the ball. Um, and I think that, the, you know, they're, they're probably going to get a little bit healthier at that position as the season goes on. And you just need to make one or two plays defensively. You know, you don't need to get a stop every single time. You just need to do enough. Um, the possibility exists. Will they? Probably not. But, I mean, uh, it would be crazy to think that it wasn't possible. I think it's highly possible that they that they give Oregon one of their toughest challenges of the season next week. But I, I don't I don't necessarily think that that means that they're, you know, I'm not guaranteeing four wins or anything like that. But I would not be surprised with with, with if it happened. And I'm probably looking at three and one as the most realistic outcome. Yeah. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. Most real realistic. The next game up in the day was Arizona and Stanford. I was, we both were right on this game in that we said that if Jack West starts, Stanford gets housed. I mean, because they got destroyed by UCLA with Jack West at quarterback. They couldn't run the ball, couldn't pass it. KJ Costello comes back 30 for 43, 312 yards, three touchdowns. They are an entirely different team. And Arizona did the unthinkable again. They keep switching quarterbacks. Tate, uh, Jeez. Khalil, Khalil Tate, 17 for 34, a tick over 50%. Two touchdowns, two interceptions. They bring Grant Gannell in when the game is still well in reach. He goes seven for seven with a touchdown. Why do you take him out? Well, I mean, I, he, I'm also, so confused. he also got himself sacked twice and had the most egregious fumble uh, of the entire weekend in college football. So, I mean, it, switching them back and forth for a second, it was weird because it, we, we all know if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one quarterback, right? Like we, we all know this. It has been ingrained in our minds as football fans, as people who've been around the game, you played the game. I'm sure you've been in situations where there were quarterback controversies and you had to settle on one because if you have more than one quarterback, you don't have a quarterback. And for a second, I got fooled because I was like, oh, how genius is it to put Khalil Tate in there and then to spell him for a drive with somebody who brings a completely different element. And then the defense doesn't necessarily know what's going on. Well, guess what? It took two quarters for Stanford and David Shaw and all the brainiacs over there to figure out what would happen when each quarterback was in. The quarterbacks combined played relatively well on the day. Khalil Tate finally, for the first time in two years, had more than 100 yards rushing against a Pac-12 opponent. Uh, Grant Gannell, you know, he goes in there, he throws seven passes. He's accurate, but obviously they can sell out on the blitz when he's in the game. And the entire thing falls apart. 
And University of Arizona managed to do something that I didn't even think was even possible going into the game, which was leave the fans pissed off at both quarterbacks. A fan base that wants nothing more than to move on from the Khalil Tate experiment is now mad at everybody. And the truth is, the problem wasn't even either quarterback in this game, as dumb as it was to be playing them both. It was the defense. The defense, KJ Costillo shredded them. Absolutely shredded them. And so, uh, I, you know, I don't really know what, what to say here. It, it, Arizona did something bad at the quarterback position that they that they shouldn't have done, but the quarterbacks didn't give up 41 points. Oh, I, uh, I 100% agree, dude. This was on the coaches. This was on Kevin Sumlin. And but I will say I did like the fight that we saw from from uh, Stanford, and we will get into all of that as the week goes goes on. The next game up was the UCLA Bruins and the Arizona State Sun, Sun Devils. We covered all the egregious penalties and plays in the game, but now USC UCLA I should say has themselves in a really good spot in the conference. They they tech, they mathematically are still alive in conference play inexplicably, and if they can win out, which would include a Utah win, which I which is not going to happen. I do not mind you. I'm not a crazy man. I do not believe that that's going to happen. They can win the the South, but the biggest question I think Ralph is what the heck is going on with Arizona State, dude? This U- UCLA team was falling apart. And until the fourth quarter yeah. where they scored 22 points, they were getting housed. Yeah, I you know, I don't I don't think that you should make any excuses for Arizona State in this game. You know, there's a pretty good chance that the officiating gifted UCLA 18. Um, but ultimately that doesn't matter because because it was 35 to 7 at one point. Um uh, here's the thing with Chip Kelly. Did you do you remember um, Mortal Kombat uh, on arcade came out on Super Nintendo as well? There was that one move where you could sweep the leg, right? And the, the and whoever you were fighting fell on their back, and and it, in the time that it took you to get back up, you could just sweep the leg again. And if you got them into that trap, you could trip them about 18 times in a row and win the fight. Yeah, yeah. You remember that? Yeah, so that used to happen to me all the time. It pissed me off. When oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. M, M, M Bison, you used to just be able to just slide on into him. But, like, so that was that's Chip Kelly. If something is working, he's going to keep doing it until you stop him. And then when you stop him, and this was his issue in the NFL, and then when you stop him, he's going to just keep doing it anyway <laughs> to see if it'll work again. <laughs> There were so many games where like the Eagles or the Niners got up early in in the first half on somebody and then they got come back on because uh, one team would make adjustments and Chip Kelly wouldn't do it. So Chip Kelly saw that the 335 is a little bit soft up the middle. He knows that Arizona State's defensive line is a liability and he's like, "Hey, nobody's really tested them on this yet. Let's just run uh, what, what's the whole Marshawn Lynch thing? Run through an MF's yeah. face uh, again, and again, and and again and again and again and again and over and over again. Yep. 
So that's what you saw. It was effective. Um, and I, you and I talked about the fact that Dorian Thompson Robinson has sort of entered this like, and which I don't see. I think you've switched being a fan of. I, I still I like it of just not caring. He's going to find. He's not going to make the tough throws. He's going to throw when a receiver's open. He's going to use his athleticism to create room to possibly make that throw. And if it doesn't work, it he's going to he's going to check down and he's just going to find open yeah. space. He is playing loose. You know, at this point, there's really nothing to lose. Any bad thing about UCLA and DTR has been said. So he's just going to go out and he's going to take what you give him. And it's turned him into a massive threat of a football player. And I I like that about him. He did that against Arizona State. Arizona State never made any adjustments of any kind until it was far too late. And they made this UCLA offense look incredible. Um, Just incredible. I, and that's what leads me to believe that UCLA is trending in the right di- direction. And I don't know what Jerry Azanaro did, whether he listened to the podcast, listened to the Pac-12 Apostles, and we were calling for for his head. But he stopped Eno Benjamin, 13 carries, 46 yards. And this was a team that was Swiss cheese against the run and Swiss cheese against the pass, but they are headed in the right direction at this point. Yeah. I would say this is what this is a, a big thing for ASU in this game was everybody went into that Utah after that Utah game. Everybody was like, why don't you just give the ball to Brandon Ayuk? Why don't you run the ball more? Um, and so ASU came into the UCLA game where you should be able to run at them and throw over them. And they executed an offensive game plan that probably should have been reserved for Utah. So it's almost like ASU's on a delay. Like next week, you're going to or in two weeks, you're going to see them try to go deep. <laughs> you know, because that's what they should have done against UCLA. So it just feels like everything ASU is doing right now is a too late adjustment. Um, and uh, the the next game up in the day, which we can just spend a second on, because this was a disaster, an epic disaster. Cal at Utah. I mean, Cal has the lowest the lowest margin for error of any Pac-12 team in terms of winning and losing. The, 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 oh, sorry, not at the lowest, the smallest margin of error. So their defense knows that they have to, you know, if they give up more than 15 points, they're going to lose. And in the Utah game, they, they were more dominant in this game than in the Arizona State game. I mean, they gave up nothing. And Cal is, yeah. I mean, they kept putting their defense in a bad position. I mean, I don't know how you're supposed to play if you're Cal. I mean, it's a bad look for Justin Wilcox, the fact that he doesn't have a backup quarterback. I mean, well, well, he's on the third stringer now. Um, but, dude, I, I just feel really, really bad for this team because they have such good players on defense. And Spencer uh, Brash was bad. Ro- uh, Robbie Ro- Roel came in. He was bad. I mean, what uh they were held to 83 yards of total offense 83 so in two weeks <laughs> uh utah's held teams to three points my mind you're bad offensive teams but still what no no sorry cal's a bad offensive team a- a- asu's reasonable held them to three points and like a combined 230 yards of total offense this team it is dominant and there's a lot of people who think they may be the best team in the Pac-12 right now. Uh, they've, they've had some good fortune, let's be honest, right? They've played uh, three true freshman quarterbacks 
now. They were able to knock one out of the game and it worked against them. Um, but they're, they're averaging giving up less than 10 passing yards a quarter over the last eight quarters, which might be the most insane stat I've ever heard in the modern game of football. Um, but I mean, a lot of it at this point has been, yeah, and they're, and they're playing young, they have the talent and they're playing young tackles, sell them short on any of this. Tyler Huntley, Tyler Huntley probably shouldn't have been in the game. I mean, after the first quarter yesterday, it probably wasn't even necessary. Uh, he looks a little bit beat up. Um, offensively though, Zach Moss is the absolute real deal. Um, I don't think that anybody else as a running back right now is, is in his class just as far as uh, a workhorse, you know, there maybe are players that are more dynamic or more athletic, but there's no true first, second, third down running back uh, like Zach Moss in the Pac-12 right now. Um, This is a good, this is a good football team that has also experienced a little bit of good fortune. And uh, all you, all you can do is win the games in front of you. And that's, I mean, they're doing it in dominant fashion. And, you know, we talk about the fact that it took, you know, it, yeah, it took it, it took Oregon until the last play. It took USC until the fourth quarter to beat opponents that they're clearly better than. Well, UCLA's not even messing around with that. At this point in the season, if they are more talented than another team, it's going to show on the scoreboard. And for some reason, styles make fights. And this is a style that Oregon has a ton of trouble stopping. And it just felt like between the refs, and a couple times not getting off the field, Washington State, because Oregon was up at 10 at one point in time and had a chance to get off the field on third down, and then the refs make a horrible call. Um, Mario Cristobal gets a personal foul. If you get a personal foul after the refs have to reverse a call because you made a terrible call, you should get that personal foul rescinded. I agree. I mean, we've seen that. I've... I was watching a Phoenix Suns game yesterday, and the same thing happened. They, you can challenge a call in basketball now, and they teed a, they teed somebody up for arguing the call, challenged the call, and it got overturned with the technical foul stance. And I, you know, I hate that. I, it, if it, you, you should own it. If you're a referee and you make the wrong call, you should own other people's reaction to your ineptitude. Oh, I 100% agree with that. I 100%. So, are you all in on the Ducks right now? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm I'm still waiting for your apology uh, for for disparaging Arizona State's defensive backs after you saw what Anthony Gordon is actually capable of going over 400 yards against the the, the Ducks DBs. Um, that that offense, it just that is what it is. They hit the open receiver again and again and again, and there's all you can do is keep them in front of you. That's the only thing that you can you can really do is try to not make a mistake once they've completed the pass. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, I feel like even with some, some effery <laughs> by the refs that, that, you know, Oregon getting this win, showing that they can get it done on special teams was a, was a big deal. Um, I yeah, almost had a heart attack, I, Ralph. I almost had a heart attack. I didn't even watch the last kick. I went upstairs and said goodnight to my daughter because I couldn't, couldn't <laughs> watch. um, yeah, uh, I'm excited to see what comes with Thursday. You guys make sure that you listen to the Thursday podcast uh, Pac-12 Apostles, George Reister Ralph Amsden, we appreciate your time appreciate your energy, peace out catch you guys later